Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. Thanks for joining us again for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. I'm sure in many conversations you have heard expressions like, most people say, the fact of the matter is, everybody knows, it is a well-established fact. Well, we could take those expressions and group them all together under the phrase conventional wisdom. So what is conventional wisdom? Basically, it's accepting certain ideas without question because it's always been this way. Now, if you're going to contrast it with a biblical thought, the biblical premise would be, thus saith the Lord. And since we believe that God's word is a complete word, a total word, a word that governs every area of life and thought, the conventional wisdom of the day, contrasted with what the Bible says, is how we should frame what it is we think, how we make our decisions, etc. So, Charles, when we decided to talk about conventional wisdom, it dawned on me that depending on when you live, you know, whether you lived in the 5th century AD or you lived in 1427 or you live in 2003, Conventional wisdom won't always be the same thing, will it? No, and I've uh, been thinking about an analogy that might be helpful, and I think enough of our listeners either themselves or know someone who has a personal computer. And so if you've ever used one of those devices and had any interaction with them, you know that generally somewhere on the back of the computer or the, the monitor, you have a number of different wires and cables plugged into it. Now, sometimes a lot, sometimes a few, but there's at least three or four, uh, maybe more. And those things that are plugged into it directly affect the performance of that machine and your ability to do what you need to do on the computer. And if one or two of them are unplugged uh, or not working properly, then you're going to have problems. And I'm using this as an analogy to ask our listeners to consider that our ways of thinking are plugged into, in various strands, the conventional wisdom of the day. Now, the foundation of whatever that conventional wisdom is, as you just said, it's going to change. But the challenge that we face is that it doesn't matter when we live, we are asked and actually required, I should say, by Almighty God to think his thoughts after him and to recognize that his word is absolutely authoritative about everything. And so the the cables plugged into our consciousness or our minds uh, should be biblical cables of one sort or another, but they all lead to the same source. They're all connected at the same place, and that is either the divine law word of God is given in Holy Scripture or something else. And that's something else, regardless of what it looks like, what it smells like, what color it is, whatever the, the covering or how it's dressed up. It is not the divine law word of God. It's going to be something else. It may be that plus God's word that thereby negates the word. But we are we are required by our Lord 
to be completely devoted to him and all our thinking and all our actions. And our actions are going to stem directly from our thinking. So I think this is a, a constant challenge that we must face, uh, that are we absolutely committed in that area? And as I get up in the morning, and I make it my goal that I will absolutely be committed to God's divine word in every area of my life today, no exceptions, because it alone is the source of true wisdom. All right. Now, I can hear some people saying, thinking, okay, really? I mean, this is a bit extreme from the moment you wake up. But think about the implications of conventional wisdom. When you wake up, there are certain things that you assume to be true. You know, you get out of the bed, you expect the floor to be there. Okay. Every, every day you get out of bed and wow, there's something to step on. All right. So that's experiential. You know, you could tell somebody that, but you know, you tell a baby that the baby can't reach the floor. So the baby has to wait till it grows some before it actually reaches the floor. But I was thinking about ways in which we could describe conventional wisdom. I already said accepting certain ideas without question. Also, not challenging information that fits with what you expect to find. So if you're anticipating it, we might call this confirmation bias. Yeah, I know this to be true and this information comports with that. Another one would be believing that the what the majority of people think that that must be true because most people think that way. Also, that assuming that the majority, aside from that they think this way, that somehow or other the majority has a better understanding than people who disagree. Another one would be thinking that something is true simply because it sounds reasonable. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And then assuming something is true because, well, this is the way it's always been. And and this is what the people who taught us said. This is what the people who are in charge say. So, In case what you just said seems radical to people, that you're going to base what you think, what you say, and what you do on the word of God, people need to realize they already are doing this, but they're doing it possibly that way or possibly based on a whole bunch of other suppositions that they've never questioned. Well, if it seems radical or odd, it's only because people are, well, they're not doing the project uh, as I just described it. They're not totally committed to the word of God. Now, that may be a surprise to them. I mean, none of us are perfect, and we all have to engage in this struggle to be totally committed. But we are enjoined, we are commanded by the Lord to do so. Let me just give one example from Scripture in Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. In the New King James Version, it reads, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Another translation has it this way, imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds, bind them as a sign on your hands, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. So that is a perfect example of the the totality of what God requires of us and the absolute authority of his word over everything. Uh, in Deuteronomy 6, 8, there's a similar uh, command. So now there may be people who could care less what is written in the book of Deuteronomy because you know there are no red letters in that book. Um, that is a, a faulty view of what scripture is to begin with. But I, I heard someone say some time ago that, you know, there, this, and he didn't use the word conventional wisdom, but there used to be a common consciousness, uh, a way of thinking uh, that, that everyone had in, in most communities in these United States. Now, maybe if you were in, you know, particular small, um, maybe marginal, no uh, bad intent 
by that term, maybe an ethnic community, a minority community where people come from somewhere other than the United States with different traditions. It might be different there, but for the majority of people, uh, especially in of a certain age and certain generation growing up in this country and various communities where the majority of people were Christian, be they Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, whatever, they, there was generally a, a way of thinking and some assumptions about life, about what was generally right or wrong, good or bad. Again, nobody's perfect. And just about everybody lived that way, however faulty, however they tried to, you know, cut the corners and do something when nobody was looking. But everyone had this general consciousness that there was something wrong if you did X, Y, or Z. Uh, and where did that come from? Well, it flows from that one point, which is scripture. Now, of course, that is all very, very different. And it's, it's totally gone from most communities. The problem is it began to vanish in Christian communities because God's people uh, did not take to heart what he says in his word in the passage I just read from Deuteronomy chapter 11, and you'll find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we are required by God to make whatever wisdom we have founded upon and agreeable to his word because it is the source of true wisdom. And insofar as we don't do that, that leads then, and that one weak link, we used that term before, that's where the problem's going to come in, and sooner or later, the whole chain will shatter and fall apart. Exactly. Now, Proverbs, and everybody's more than likely familiar with the reference that says, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, not wisdom begins with conventional wisdom, what everybody knows. Now, even in a biblically ordered society, conventional wisdom shouldn't prevail just because it's there. You've got to go back to thus saith the Lord. And one of the things that Dr. Rush Juni emphasized in all his writings and lectures and the Chalcedon Foundation continues to proclaim is that every area of life and thought must be governed by the word of God. So I'm just going to give a list of things that oftentimes people will adhere to the group think because it's always been that way, as opposed to examining the scripture and say, hmm, does the scripture talk about this? Or a better question would be, where does the scripture talk about this? Because there's not going to be any issue that you won't find in scripture. So these are the areas that I believe there is a tension between conventional wisdom and the wisdom of God through scripture. Politics government, education, healthcare, medicine, organizations and institutions, science, academics, religion, economics, and wellness. So you have to ask yourself, do I think what I think about something? Because in essence, I've never really thought about it. I just accepted it. And I'll give an example. People are now very familiar with homeschooling. But there was a time in this country that people were like, homeschooling, can you do that? Is it legal? Does the government say you can? Well, conventional wisdom said you send your kid to school. You would never think of educating the child yourself. Yet, if you go back to the early America, colonial America, and subsequently, most people were homeschooled. So the conventional wisdom then would be, you're going to send your child to a school? Why aren't you capable of teaching your child to read? So 
when Christians especially decided, wait a minute, if we're giving our children over to a system that has eliminated God, won't let us talk about God, and teaches things antithetical to the Bible, of course we should question that conventional wisdom and teach our children ourselves. Can you think of another example, Charles? Well, I, the example you just used is an excellent one, and, it, and it's also an example of what you said at the beginning, that the content and orientation of what is called conventional wisdom or received opinion varies from one time to the next, you know, depending on what is at the foundation of the society or culture or family or whatever educational institution to, to motivate it to have this group think in the best sense of the term. Certainly, in terms of, say, church or, let's say, government, Uh, our understanding of the word government has radically changed over the decades and centuries. Uh, Many many of our listeners may be aware, if you get one of those older dictionaries from the 19th century and look up the word government or even the word law, you get a very different definition. Uh, Not radically different, but in terms of what's the first thing mentioned, it's very different than what you'll see in a you know, 21st century modern dictionary, because the commonplace wisdom, the conventional wisdom has changed, and so the definition changes. And that's part of the problem that we face with this is, um, you know, one definition I came across that describes conventional wisdom as, as ideas which are esteemed at any time for their acceptability. Okay, so if you live in a culture that at least has a veneer of biblical morality over it, then, okay, that's okay. It, it, everybody has a similar acceptability of ideas. But what about now, when the ideas that have a common acceptability in a growing number of communities says that uh, a person could be transgendered, that every uh, many, many things that the Bible declares is totally unacceptable are now okay. And so we're starting at a different po- point altogether, and the conventional wisdom is, well, why wouldn't I take my kids to Drag Queen Story Hour? Maybe in your community, it's not that big of a deal. But I think most of us realize that um, there are there are no places we can go anymore in a culture that has shaken its fist in God's face and uh, say, okay, well, that's just those crazy people, you know, over there. Uh, you know, if you'll forgive me, Andrea, you know, it used to be we could dismiss everything as those crazy people in California. You know, uh, we're all left, doing ourselves now, <laughs> right? The, the left coast. Uh, but we don't have that uh, option anymore. And not that it ever was a very good one, uh, because all of these ideas have prevailed uh, in just about every nook and cranny of the culture. And it's through things like the government school system. You know, that's one of those cables that's hooked into a different source of knowledge and information and wisdom that feeds right into even very rural farming communities here in the southern United States. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the computer itself, uh, to stay with that analogy, also is a source conveying uh, the current wisdom or received opinion uh, of the day. But I think that people need to remember, as is the case with theocracy, where theocracy is unavoidable. Uh, you're, you're always in a situation where there's you know, one god or source of divine or sovereign authority uh, vying for absolute superiority and place of preferred place of purpose over another. So the, that's unavoidable. You, there will be in every society, every family, every government, an absolute source of authority, uh, which is unquestioned. And so it's the same with this. 
conventional wisdom is there, received opinion is there, but what is the source? What is it grounded on? And what what are some of the, the products that come? What are some of the evidences that result from having that particular type of conventional wisdom? Right. So you, you referenced the computer. Well, we could also say that no matter what the cables are plugged into, you're still dealing with sinful man. And right. so what conventional wisdom usually comes out of is the acceptable idea, the one that will pander to determining for myself what's right and wrong. And that's probably why teachers unions and school boards really come down hard on homeschooling and sometimes even private Christian schools because we've pulled out the plug. And it's like, no, 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 you cannot pull out the plug. I remember there was a TV show I guess it was in the 70s or the 80s where the culture had it so it was illegal to turn off your television. You weren't allowed to turn off your television. And when you think about it today and and your analogy of being plugged in is how to be controlled and dominated by the conventional wisdom. So I'll give you another example. Back when my husband and I were first married, which was 48 years ago, we didn't have a lot. I, I didn't have a bridal shower. I didn't have a big wedding. So like a lot of um, couples, we weren't capitalized by our friends. You know, the whole wedding shower and the wedding gifts is to basically capitalize the, you know, the couple. Right. So um, we're in a position where we don't have very much. And the instruction we were given is you have got to go out and get credit cards. You must get credit cards because you have to build up credit. It doesn't matter if you have money in the bank. Nobody cares about that. They care about whether or not you've taken out a sizable loan and repaid it. And so building your credit score was very important. And I don't know if I've shared this before. So we did it. And boy, oh boy, were we like regular Americans. We had $25,000 in secured and unsecured debt. You know, we had a car so that, you know, that could be repossessed. But then we're reading Rush Dooney's book, Law and Liberty, and I'm reading about debt. And we had just gone out and spent a whole bunch of money putting it on our credit card, feeling very American, very modern. <laughs> and I said, you know, we don't, we shouldn't thank God for all these purchases. We should thank MasterCard. And on top of it all, because we don't pay off the balance each month, we're paying on meals we had out <laughs> months ago. So we're still paying for that meal when that meal has been digested, eliminated, and everything else. And it was news to us that you shouldn't be in debt, that the borrower is a slave to the lender. So by God's grace and by some disciplining ourselves, we got out of debt and didn't get back into debt. But it was a shock to me, Charles. It's like, what are you talking about? First of all, telling me that I should go into debt was a bit of a shock, but hey, I'll go with the conventional wisdom, only to find out that not only was I hurting myself and my family, that we were disobeying God. Yeah, and that uh, dovetails with something that we talked about in a previous uh, podcast uh, in, in terms of the future orientation that God has given his people as opposed to living for the moment. You know, I have to have it now. And what you just described is a typical example of how that has functioned in uh, these United States and our culture. Uh, you deserve the best today. You know, grab all the gusto you can, reach out for these things and live for now. 
and uh, that is the debt train, whereas God's Word enjoins us to be dominion and future-oriented. Um, let me mention, uh, you asked if, if I had other examples a moment ago. I, I think one example that you used to hear a lot, I think you hear it maybe a little less now, uh, thankfully, but, uh, you know, you really should go to college. You really need to get that college degree. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever it is, as long as you got a college degree. And that was the conventional wisdom. I, I grew up hearing it, and most of the people I know went to college, got their degree in whatever it is. Uh, I'm, I'm maybe skewering the truth just a little bit, but not by much. Most of the people that I know who did not go and they learned to trade, they're a lot better off today than those of us who got you know, college degrees. Uh, another one of those examples is, is, this may sound kind of strange, but uh, you know, you really should go to church. In, in many communities, especially here in the South, I'm sure in so parts of California and other parts of the, you know, across the nation, going to a particular church is, is a something that you should do and it's conventional wisdom it's the accepted opinion that people should do that Uh, well that's all well and good but it doesn't do you much good to go to church if you aren't going to take to heart uh, what god's word says you know what sort of church what's being taught in that church Uh, do they rely on god's word and do they promote it as the absolute source of all knowledge and truth the same thing with the college or university if a person feels compelled to go to a place like that then what is it at the foundation of what those institutions are teaching? Is it the idea that God's word is divine and infallible and inerrant and all that it teaches, and it is the starting point for all areas of knowledge, or is it something else? So, you know, conventional wisdom is unavoidable. The question is, what is the foundation of that wisdom? And if uh, if it's something other than the word of God, are we able to discern where we're running into problems when people who are giving us well-intended advice, but it is not based on God's law. So you bring up the college thing. I remember vividly the commercials in the 60s. To get a good job, get a good education, go to college. Yep. And and so parents were very, very proud if their children went to college. You'll still hear people say, I'm the first person in my family who went to college. So what, you know, what does that mean? Well, we've just accepted it. College is good. And so I brought up the commercials. Well, you have to realize that a lot of the conventional wisdom gets transmitted through media. You know, it wasn't until the late 50s and early 60s that people invited strangers into their house during their meals, when they were in bed, when they were just sitting around watching things that other people had produced. And if you think it's extreme to say you invited them into your house, you did. You did. So, you know, it starts off with family dramas or family comedies and such like that. And then we'll go into the bedroom. Well, in the early 60s, they had two beds. And I remember my parents had two beds because, you know, I guess that's because that's how they did it on these various shows. But then as the media showed certain things, and stopped showing other things, then when you talk about like what happened when it used to be that people had these ideas, well, they were seeing something different. And I guess if it's on television, I mean, I don't see anything to the contrary. I never see shows where the preacher is speaking about um, the necessity for atonement and for, you know, that you're a depraved sinner who's hopelessly lost apart from God's grace. 
no, the, the pastor or the preacher will give a moralistic message and it will usually be something along the lines that the church lady was too harsh and you need to be more accepting of different kinds of people. And so it worked two ways. If the media talked about it, it must be true. If the media doesn't talk about it, well, I don't know about that. I haven't heard about that. Well, if the media doesn't talk about it, it then becomes untrue because you've never heard about it. So even the whole participation in polls and how, you know, statistics say the number of people in America think this or that, it's contrived because all they're saying is, based on our standards and the way we ask the question, most people think this. You know, clashes between conventional wisdoms or received opinions are also inevitable. And our Christian forebears, especially uh, in the earliest days of the church, immediately following Christ's ascension to heaven and the beginning of the uh, the, the massive uh, mission outreach that Paul especially initiated across uh, major parts of the Roman Empire, you know, it became very, very obvious to the people in pagan culture, Roman and Greek pagan culture, that these are people who are operating from a very different standpoint, and that manifests in various ways. And I think uh, this is reading between the lines, but I I think it's reasonable in this case that many of the pagan neighbors of early Christians, they must have been incredulous. They could not imagine why are you people behaving this way and not the way we do. I remember a scene in one of those made-for-TV movies that played back in the 80s. I think I've referenced it before. It was called Peter and Paul. And, I mean, it had an A-list actors and actresses group who played the the various roles. And it was loosely based on the book of Acts, but very, very well done. And there's a scene in that movie where uh, keying off where Paul has been arrested and he's under house arrest in Rome. Uh, that hasn't slowed him down. He's still proclaiming the message. People are coming to where he's, you know, in somebody's house where he's under house arrest. And he's managed to befriend a Roman guard who's been assigned to keep an eye on him. And uh, at one point, the, the guard comes to him with his eyes bulging and said, we are hearing reports that Romans are coming and becoming Christians. Don't you realize what's going to happen to you? You're going to be sent to the Mamertine prison where, in, in the memorable words of the of the movie, there is death before death. A uh, very ominous warning about what could happen to you, Paul, if you don't shut up about this stuff. Okay, you know, convert the, the hoi polloi, but Roman citizens, you're talking to them too about this. And the, the guy had nothing in his consciousness, in his idea about what was wise, that could remotely connect with the bravery and the daring of Paul because of the commission he'd been given by God Almighty. It was a radically different way of living and thinking. And so he was pleading with him to stop talking. And I I think in the scene, the guy had barred the door so nobody else could get in and and meet with Paul. And in the scene, the the actor who plays Paul says, open the door, open the door. And the the, the Roman centurion or whatever, he looked looked at one of, I don't know if it was supposed to be uh, John Mark or, or whoever was with Paul. Doesn't he understand? Doesn't he understand what's going to happen? And the guy says, yeah, he understands very well. Another example, and I think this one is very recent, the state of Ohio has put as a constitutional right into their state constitution the right to have an abortion. 
Now, aside from the fact that anybody who knows anything about biblical history will say, thumbing your nose at God in this way, establishing it as law, it's it's not that it's good that it has been legal. Now it's embedded into their constitution. Okay, so those of us who understand that God means what he says will find that ominous. But what is very interesting is you see a lot of now conservative commentary that's basically telling people, look, you just got to get off this abortion issue. The problem is you keep making it a black or white issue and we're going to lose votes. And apparently millions of dollars were spent on both sides trying to pass it, trying to defeat it with a gap of about five million between those who wanted it and those who didn't, as if we can buy God's favor by getting people to support a particular idea. But the commentators are now saying, stop making abortion your issue. It's it, it's a killer for elections. We, we need a more balanced view. So the conventional wisdom will say, well, if you want to get elected, don't be so hard fast. Don't say abortion is murder. That's going to turn people off. So the conventional wisdom says we have to operate on how to win friends and influence people as opposed to proclaiming God's word. And of course, in this case, it is deadly and it continues to be deadly for the unborn children, but it is begging for judgment from God. And I don't think people understand that it may seem like a small point. After all, all, we have other issues like immigration or inflation. There is nothing more dear to God's heart. And the the book of James calls it pure religion undefiled, widows and orphans in their distress. Well, babies in the womb do not have people fighting for them, and they constitute orphans. And God does not hold kindly, and that's an understatement, to the abuse that we see going on today and now being embedded in our law. And that's a case where the conventional wisdom, as you said, is is absolutely deadly and fatal to certain segments of our society, the unborn. And we see this in other areas as well. But that's the conventional wisdom. There are communities and groups of people and neighborhoods where they would think you were crazy if you opposed abortion for any any reason. And we see this being extended to some of the other areas that I have already mentioned. So I think that uh, what what we're trying to get across to our listeners is that this is a call to radical commitment by the conventional standards. You know, if you're not at odds with the conventional wisdom at many points, if not all of them, then maybe you're not following God's word and at least endeavoring to do so and those areas that would put you at odds with those. Now, the big ticket items are things like we've mentioned, abortion being one. But, you know, we have to remember that this is an all-encompassing project. And I would encourage our listeners maybe to do an inventory, you know, to start thinking about areas of your life, things that impact you day-to-day or maybe not every day, uh, just generally speaking. You know, what are the, what are the things in terms of society and culture, uh, that impact us? And how am I or am I not committed to the absolute total wisdom of God in that area? Uh, is it in terms of family, in terms of education, 
You mentioned politics and government. That's a big ticket one, too. In terms of my personal life and how I interact with people in my home and people at work, in my private life, uh, we've had a lot of stuff thrown on our plate over the past couple of years regarding science and medicine. Uh, what are the starting points for those things? You know, the people that, that have, in some ways, completely upended society and culture uh, around the world, for that matter, um, they have done so in the name of science. Well, what is the foundation of that science? Is exactly. it the wisdom? Evolution is a great example. Christians have, by and large, not all, but by and large, said, wait a minute, if you look at biblical chronology and you look at the number of years, no, it's not billions and billions of years. It's thousands of years, maybe 7,000, 8,000, depending on how you're going to look at it, if you trust the biblical chronology. Well, how many believers have been told if they ask the question, oh, yeah, well, that's just figurative. The book of Genesis is figurative. Well, when you say no, evolution is not what God said. So obviously, the story of Adam and Eve is not figurative. It's actual. And so Christians have questioned it there. But the problem is, in all these other areas we've spoken about, they don't ask the question because they've just assumed something to be true. I'll give you another example. So the Bible says, how do you deal with health, education, and welfare? doesn't give the state the jurisdiction. It gives the church. It gives the family, right? But there are people who say, wait a second. If we closed all the public schools, if we didn't have welfare, if, if we didn't have, you know, subsidized Medicare, Medicaid, we would be in a disaster. No, you say that because you haven't thought of anything else. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says the tithe pays for these things. Well, wait a minute. Are you telling me that if we all tithe, but we already have so much of our money taken out by taxes? Yeah, that's a good thing to look at. Hmm. Where does the Bible say that property should be taxed? Where does the Bible say that income should be taxed? Where does the Bible say there should be a sales tax? Well, the only reason you can't even envision health, education, and welfare being privatized from civil government is because of all these other things that are in place that you've never questioned. Now, just because you question it and you say, oh my goodness, we're doing things wrong. We shouldn't be doing it this way. That's step one. Then step two is, what are you going to do about it? Right? Because as we've mentioned many times before, Jesus said in, in quoting the Older Testament, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So if you have things in place, it'd be a good idea to say, why do I think this is true? And well, because I learned it in school, isn't probably the best answer. And I can imagine that probably none of our listeners, but maybe some, but they certainly would know people who would say in reaction to the, everything that you've said and we've said together, oh, no, wait a minute, you guys are sounding like fanatics. Um, we're, you know, the Bible, we're not supposed to look to the Bible for this, that, and the other. I mean, that's what we have you know, the government for. That's why you know, we have the institutions of higher learning that we've talked about to teach us. Well, the Bible has nothing to do with that. It's only about my saving my soul and, and going to heaven. And that's another challenge that we face. When people start to take this seriously, again, it's going to create a division. 
it's going to create without any you know bad intent it's it's going to happen sooner or later if you really start to take god's law word as what he commands it to be in our lives i remember a conversation i had with my wife many many years ago when we were dating before we were engaged and got married you know she made the comment to me about how uh, one of the things that would disturb her greatly is if she was dating some guy and after a couple of dates you know the subject of church or faith came up and you know the common reaction she would get from i shouldn't say common from the the reaction she'd get from some of these guys is oh no 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 you're not going to get all religious on me are you <laughs> you know that that's a typical example of people who they don't want to be bothered with accountability to god's law and god's standard they're, they're okay with it maybe begrudgingly to being accountable to the state or some other voice of authority. But the the pernicious way that Satan's lies are perpetrated and perpetuated uh, among people in all societies and cultures is the vehicle of conventional wisdom. And so people need to be very careful about any kind of knee-jerk reactions or, you know, uh, wise sayings that oh, it's always I've always heard X, Y, and Z. You know, why have you always heard that? What is the basis of why you've heard that? And let's uh, examine that under the searchlight of Scripture. There's two other examples that I thought of and I'd like to share. First one having to do with what should a woman do if a man tries to rape her? Well, the wisdom that I have heard for the last 30 years is don't fight. Don't fight him because if you fight him, he might kill you. And so you hear of situations where women did get raped and they didn't fight. Well, that's not what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, if a woman doesn't resist and fight, then she's not necessarily able to prove that she wasn't complicit in it. Okay, so that's just one example. Another example is how do we judge right and wrong? If you watch a lot of the lawyer shows that have been a staple since the 60s, it's no longer that a person's conviction should be based on two reliable witnesses and their actions, their behavior, which is what the Bible says you should judge whether somebody's right or wrong. Now we were basing on motives, and and I saw a, a show not too long ago where, yes, the man had killed someone, but he was in a rage. And when he was in a rage, he wasn't thinking straight. So the defense was you can't convict him of premeditated murder because he was just in a rage. As if killing somebody in a rage or killing somebody with, um, you know, good thinking and rational understanding, the person's still dead. And the commandment is thou shalt not murder. So when we start adding these other things in, that's why people are so upset with our current justice, more rightly called injustice system, because people can do heinous things and then be released, despite the fact that there are witnesses that will corroborate the person's guilt. So the conventional wisdom is not what did the person do, what was he thinking? And so now we have this category of law called hate crimes, which somehow or other are worse. So if you, if I hated somebody and I killed them, that's worse than if I killed somebody because I didn't want them around. 
So this is all the conventional wisdom that's perpetrated by media presentations, making us think, well, this is the way it should be. You know, and in a lot of the programs for the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years, the bad guy always seems to be light complected and he's a guy. So is it any wonder today we've got people spouting off male privilege, white privilege, because it's been conditioned and then it becomes part of the conventional wisdom. We all know capitalism is wrong. We all know that white people, all white people hate people of darker skin. So when you have conventional wisdom and you don't put the Bible up to it and say, am I judging righteous judgments? That's a problem. And Christians need to remember that we are constantly under attack by satanic and humanistic forces uh, to have us compromise in these areas that we've mentioned. And for those who are not aware, uh, the, the project of, it's been called manufacturing consent or manufacturing agreement has been around for a long, long time. Uh, Edward Bernays is the man credited with creating the idea of propaganda, at least in the modern sense. He wrote a book, I believe it was the beginning of the 20th century, called, called Propaganda. And he flat out said that, and I'm quoting him, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in a democratic society. Think about that. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the habits and opinions of the masses is an important element of our society. And you know, we've been living under the withering attack of that approach from a humanistic standpoint for over a, a century or more. So, yes, conventional wisdom is unavoidable. The, the question is, what's behind it? Uh, I, am I continually examining my thoughts, my actions, to see if I am acting wisely according to what God's Word says is wise? And it, don't settle for whatever your great-great-grandparents may have said. It may have been fine. It may not have been. Just you need to decide. Now, well, I've always heard. What uh, What have you always heard? Where does that come from? What does that look like in terms, and especially in terms of marriage and relationships? And I mentioned a few things like that a while ago, but it seems like there's a lot of conventional wisdom on these, you know, down-to-earth, day-to-day life, living-type things where it really seeps in and can, can create problems. Well, I've always heard if you don't like the way the guy looks, then, you know, you can divorce him. Or I've always heard if X, Y, or Z. Right. You mentioned the example of, you know, uh, physical attack. So uh, these are very challenging areas. So you mentioned Bernays. How did women start deciding that they needed to have the same rights as men? Well, in a lot of ways, it was by propaganda that was meant to make them dissatisfied, to characterize the woman who cared for her family, who helped her husband and served her children was somehow out of date and everything else. The example, I think, that shows one of Bernays's masterful accomplishments was the cigarette companies recognized that they had sort of reached a peak. They had men smoking, but there was 50% of the population that wasn't smoking. So how were they going to accomplish it? Well, they had a group of women. I think it was either during the Easter parade or something like that. Right. March yep. in the parade, smoking cigarettes and equating this with showing that women were just as equal to men. You know, we want the vote. We should get the vote and everything else. And then they got women smoking. Well, what happened is 
women's rate of heart disease and lung problems started matching that of men. So I guess they did become equal, you know, but it wasn't because they really were asserting how independent and autonomous they were and they didn't really need a man. Fast forward to our day, how many fatherless households are there? How many people who married and divorced because you know what? You know, women need to assert themselves. So it's always good to find out why do I think the way I do? And this is actually among the talking points. Okay, so how do I start figuring this out? Well, I would say, and you chime in here, Charles, as you think needs clarification. Number one, explore the history of an idea. Where did it start? And and be willing to spend the time. If you think that you might have some ideas that aren't in line with scripture, find out where they came from. Secondly, be willing to research alternative ideas. Oh, no, I can't go down that. That's just a conspiracy theory. Oh, no, you, I, you, you know, these are tinfoil people. Don't listen. No. If you trust your ability to know that the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth, and you know your Bible, and you start looking at these things, then you start asking yourself, well, what things line up with scripture? And then be willing to talk to people who believe contrary to you. And again, they're saying, but I believe the Bible says this. And then at that point, trust that the Holy Spirit, if you really want to be acting in faith and obedience, will guide you. But the whole, let's just marginalize these people let's use derisive things about them and we've settled it uh-uh that's usually the tactic of someone who can't substantiate their own point of view i think in terms of me winding up my part of this discussion i would encourage our listeners to do just as you suggested to you know parse to analyze why you're thinking a particular way does it line up with scripture and I would go another step and say, if you need help and guidance in terms of uh, what does it look like to think biblically about this area or that area, if I realize I haven't been thinking that way, one of the best places you can go to find resources is the calcedon.edu website and the Calcedon bookstore. Dr. R.J. Rushduni wrote many, many volumes about just about everything in the life of a Christian, of a man or a woman. And I was just thinking while we were talking about this, that little slim paperback volume called Christian Marriage. Uh, it is an excellent, it's not very, not very long, but there's some marvelous few, two or three articles in there. Uh, so not only are the commentaries and the uh, sermons that he taught and preached on various books of the Bible, uh, but just about anything you can think of relating to government, family life, education, there are massive resources. And one of the nice things about the new website, is that you can go and click on the link that says resources and just type in a word and it will bring up hundreds and hundreds of references and pages and pages that are easily accessed to either audios you can download or purchase books you can purchase or things that you can read online. So yes, let's, uh, let's recognize conventional wisdom is unavoidable, but let us seek to be uh, uh, perfectly aligned as we can with God's word. Yeah, that's got to be the starting point. Otherwise, we're just all deciding for ourselves what's true or not. Um, I like to remind people that the Bible can be described as a history book. That's true history in the scripture. It can be described as truth. So you're going to find truth there. And finally, it's God's revelation. 
So if God says all things were created in six days, all things were created in six days. If you think otherwise, that makes no sense. It's probably because you've bought into the conventional wisdom. God says he created the male and female, two sexes. Then, well, wait a minute. What if somebody feels this, that, or the other thing? We don't have to doubt that there are people who are aberrant in how they relate to things, either consciously or unconsciously. But the Bible says male and female, right? And I would encourage people, and, and this transformation has happened for me, since my conversion and since being exposed to the idea of every word that proceeds out of God's mouth, if I am reading through the Bible, which a lot of people do as a practice, and you read something and you say, wait a second, is that what the world says? Hmm. Is that what I've always thought? Hmm. Maybe I should stop and consider who I'm looking at as the voice of authority. And It's not always an easy process, and I'll be honest with you, Charles, and maybe you've had this experience. Sometimes you come up against something and you say, couldn't possibly be. That is about as ridiculous as as you know it could be. And then you say, why am I fighting this so much? Why is it that I can't accept what God's word said and not make it allegorical or poetic? How about just taking what he said and understand that God doesn't speak to us in mysteries, in in puzzles. God speaks to us forthrightly. When he says, thou shalt not kill, that includes people outside the womb and people inside the womb. End of story. End of story. But when we start going, well, you don't understand. There are people who have these situations. We could understand all these other problems that people have. But if we lose sight of what murder is, then we don't really have a way in which to be safe and conduct ourselves in a way that will bring God's blessing. So it's a challenge. And um, we've talked many times just amongst ourselves that you have to be willing to say, not my will, but God's will. And not my truth, not my word, but his truth and his word. Indeed. Out of the question podcast at gmail.com is how you reach us. We thank you for the, uh, kind words that we get from people and some challenging words. I've been in dialogue with people who don't always agree with our point of view, but I'm blessed that we're talking about things as opposed to fighting about things. So thanks, Charles. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.